All right. So uh, anyways, Luke chapter 9, we've already looked at 18 through 20. Uh, our, uh, for our purposes today, we're going to look at verses, or today, the, to this, this service, we're going to look at verses 21 and 22, and we're going to answer the second question. What was the first question? Who is Jesus? And who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. We don't make Him those things. We, we should recognize and submit to Him uh, as God, Lord, and Savior. If we do that, then we're saved. We, we understand uh, Jesus, and we need to understand, secondly, the gospel. So the second question that we want to answer today is, what is the gospel? So Luke chapter eight, uh, 9, verses 20 and 21, and we're answering the question, what is the gospel? So before we get into this, I want your uh, participation. I already had you guys stand up, so I'm not going to have you do that. I want everyone to touch their toes right now. I'm just kidding. Um, I want you to raise your hand if you have an answer. And uh, I want you to think about human history, right? And we're not evolutionists. We don't believe millions and billions of years. We believe thousands of years, right? So look, think about over the last few thousands of years, what, what have been very key moments in the history of, of mankind? Maybe some, some uh, uh, great events, some uh, things that really pushed uh, progress or, or something like that forward. Yes, sir? World War II. World War II. That was a very uh, big event in human history. Changed a lot of things for a lot of people, did it not? All right. Yes, ma'am? Revolutionary War. Yes, ma'am. All right. Another one. Civil War. Civil War. Where I come from, they're, they're saying the South will rise again. All right. Yeah. First man to step on the moon. Who was that? Neil Armstrong. Haley. Say again? Fly? The flood. That was, that was pretty big, right? That was a, a global catastrophe. Yes, ma'am. Birth of Christ. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Sorry, I was thinking, thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir, is what I was thinking. Creation. That's a pretty big deal. Yes. Sputnik 1. Yes. One more. One more. All right. Yes, ma'am. 9-11. You already raised your, raise your hand? Day of Pentecost, right? These were all big events in human history. But really, we're going to be talking about the most important event that ever happened in all of human history today when we look at the gospel. So let's look at verses 21 and 22. Um, <clears throat> it says, And he, this is Jesus, straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand your gospel. Help us to understand that your gospel is not just for salvation. Help us to understand that your gospel is everything for us Christians, that it is the beginning, it is the end, it is our hope, it is our peace, it is our joy. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we've already answered the first question, who is Jesus? Now, Jesus Immediately after he, uh, uh, after Peter answers that that Jesus is the Christ of God, verse number twenty one is a very interesting verse. And for a lot of people, a lot of people read this verse and they say, "What? What is going on in verse number twenty one?" So in verse number twenty, Peter says, "You are the Christ of God." And then what happens in verse number twenty one? Let's look at it again. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Now. 
Notice the word straightly does not have a G-H in it, right? So he's not telling them straightly like a straight line. He's telling them straightly without a G-H. And that's actually kind of an old word that we don't use anymore. That word literally means strictly or rigorously. So really what just happened is Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And as soon as Peter said that, Jesus strictly or rigorously commanded them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ of God. Now, that's kind of crazy, maybe mind-blowing for a lot of people. Why in the world doesn't Jesus want people to believe that he is the Christ? Why in the world would uh, Peter be forbidden and all the other disciples forbidden from telling people that Jesus is God, Jesus is uh, the Christ? In fact, uh, you know, the, the strictly commanding, uh, straightly charging, it, it gives the idea of like a parent getting onto a little kid, like, Johnny, I told you not to run across the street, right? So Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone that I am the Christ of God. Now, why in the world would Jesus, right after they give a good profession of faith, you are the Christ of God, why in the world would he forbid them for, uh, from telling others that he is the Christ? Now, if you remember from our context, this event happens shortly after the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, in this context, the feeding of the 5,000 is from verse 10 to verse 17. And then we start verse 18, which is our text. Now, if you remember, right after Jesus fed the 5,000, what happened immediately after that? The people around Jesus, they were whipped into a frenzy, and they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. Why, why was that? They, they, they saw the power that Jesus had, and they thought, man, this is great. This is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. We can take him, and every army will be afraid of us because he's this wonderful miracle worker. We don't have to worry about supplying our army. Maybe we don't even have to worry about fighting. Maybe he could just do some, do some miracle and, and destroy all of our enemies. We don't have to worry about feeding ourselves, right? We don't have to feed, worry about feeding our armies. He can take care of all of that for us. And so this is the God that we want, or this is the king that we want. This is the Messiah that we want. And they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And the Bible says Jesus left them. And then he, he uh, appeared to his disciples later on that night uh, on the water and said, peace be still. And then as soon as they received, or, or sorry, this, sorry, I'm mixing it up. Uh, the disciples saw Jesus walking across the water. Remember, they saw he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost, They thought, and they were scared. It was in the middle of a storm. But as soon as Jesus entered the boat, there was a miracle that happened. Immediately, as soon as he entered the boat, they immediately appeared. Uh, they were in Capernaum where they were going. And so Jesus w- went all the way to the other side uh, of, of the, the large lake or the, the sea that, that he was in. And then uh, people were looking everywhere for him. They looked for him for three days. They looked for him by land. They looked for him by sea. They were trying to find him wherever they could find him. They finally found him in the synagogue in Capernaum. And then whenever they found him, they said, when did you get here? How did you get here? Why did you leave us? And, and, then, and, and Jesus had to calm them down. And then we see the, what they call the discourse on the bread of life. And that is a wonderful sermon about Jesus teaching us the truth of what he's, he's, uh, what, who he is. He didn't come here to feed our bellies. He came here to save our souls. And unfortunately, all those people, they were laboring for the meat that perishes. And they were, they were wanting Jesus just for some physical benefits. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people today, they, they want to, quote unquote, come to Christ or come to church or make some reformations in their life because they want 
uh, a happy life or because they want to find a good husband that doesn't drink and smoke or because they, they want some benefits of, of being in a church with, with fellowship and, and, and things like that. There, there are many different people that come for many different reasons. And Jesus had to get rid of those people. And what's interesting is towards the end of John chapter 6, Everyone left Jesus. Everyone left Jesus. And, and, and it was so bad that Jesus even looked at his apostles and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And remember the answer of, of Peter. He says, Lord, where, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And so remember last time Jesus did something that just, man, everyone was in shock. They realized that he was a Messiah. They all were whipped into a frenzy. Jesus didn't want his disciples to go around whipping up everyone into a frenzy, one that would die down shortly after they realized that Jesus wasn't here just to meet all of their physical needs and all the selfish demands of the crowd. Jesus was seeking true followers, ones who were seeking the Lord with their whole heart, ones who would follow him not just for some personal gain, not just for free food, but because they thought that he was the bread of life. Those that don't care about the state of their bellies, those, those who really want to take in the water of life, that spiritual life that God freely gives. So what this was when Jesus forbade his disciples from publishing the fact that he was the Christ, this was a, a, a temporary crowd control maneuver, right? Also, if you guys remember... Uh, it wasn't yet time for Jesus to die. This was about two years or so into Jesus' ministry. In, Je in God's perfect plan, the nation of Israel was first to reject Jesus as Christ before some would later turn to him in faith. The people of Israel who didn't accept Jesus as Christ during, God's er during Jesus' earthly ministry, they were given other chances. In fact, I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. Stay, stay in Luke chapter 9, maybe stick a finger or something in there. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 because don't think that Jesus did not care about the salvation of those people, right? He did. But in God's perfect plan, they would first reject him before they would turn to him. So Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. This is the sermon of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom, what's the next word? Ye crucified. Who crucified Jesus? The ones who were listening, the ser listening to the sermon. They were the ones that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And just, just a little over a month later, after they cried, crucify him, crucify him, Peter is standing in front of this crowd of people and he's saying, you need to believe in the Savior that you killed. You need to believe in the Messiah that you crucified him. You crucified. And we know that 3,000 people were saved on that day. Praise the Lord. Now look at one more example. Acts chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Now this is another uh, uh, sermon that Peter preached. It says, uh, uh, verse number 13, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom, what's the next word? Ye, that's third person plural. In Oklahoma, we'd say y'all, right? You all, all right? Yins sometimes if you want to like plural, the third person plural, it's yins. And so anyways, we'd say y'all in Oklahoma, right? So y'all, every one of you, you guys all delivered him up. So who delivered Jesus to be killed? Y'all, you, 
the people who, who are listening to the sermon that Peter is preaching, right? And so God gave them another chance. And you, you could look, and he uses ye, ye, ye several times in that text. We know that they're the ones that delivered up Jesus. They're the ones that, that killed Jesus on the cross. This was all a part of Jesus' perfect plan. The main purpose of Jesus' ministry was not simply to save people. Yes, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, but Jesus came to make a way, make a way for the salvation of all people of all time. He came to fulfill all righteousness, to do everything that was necessary to fulfill God's perfect law and appease God's wrath for sin so that sinners could be justified before a holy God. God's plan is is now for us to do the evangelism, for us to point people to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who did everything that was necessary for our salvation. So this is the very reason why Jesus harshly scolded his disciples that they wouldn't tell anyone that he was a Christ. Now look at verse number 22. Saying, so here's the reason why you don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. There are four things that must happen according to this verse. Number one, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Number two, he must be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, so the the leaders of Israel. So this is symbolically the whole nation that God was sent to. God's people, the, the nation of Israel, is going to categorically reject him as the Messiah. And because of that, he would be slain and he would, raise, he would be raised the third day. This was all according to God's plan. God was not just making up things as history was moving along. He wasn't winging it, if you've heard that phrase before. He wasn't trying to make the best out of what man had messed up. The plan that he devised, the Bible says he did before the foundation of the world. Revelation 3.18 says that Christ was the lamb slain from before the, from the foundation of the world. Titus 1.2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. This verse tells us that God promised eternal life before the world began, before he even created us, he already had a plan. And everything that's happening in the Gospels and everything that's happening now is happening according to God's plan. This was not plan B. There are no plan Bs with God. There's always a plan A. God doesn't have any plan Bs. God never makes mistakes. He never stammers or stutters or stumbles. Everything that He has determined to do will be done and that's a huge difference between us and God because we determined to do a lot of really good things right I determined to start losing weight right after the beginning of the year you see how that's working out right so I've determined I determine a lot of things right but 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 what praise the Lord what God determines to do will be done when God says he's going to do something you can count on it he will do it without fail turn with me to Isaiah chapter 46 Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, 
What does verse 10 say? Declaring the end, when? From the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God has already determined, decreed what is going to come to pass. He's in charge of everyone and everything. This verse tells us he's declared the end from the beginning. From ancient times, he declared what will be done in the last day. His counsel, that means what he's determined, his decisions will stand. That means whatever he determined to do will happen without fail. God was not just trying to work out the best, uh, uh, you know, make the best out of what man had messed up. This was all a part of God's plan. In, ne- in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, we see Nebuchadnezzar, who was an unbelieving, wicked king, and I believe he actually got saved here at the end of his life because uh, Daniel chapter 4, if you want to look at it real quick with me, Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. It says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. That means it never ends. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. That can only be said about God. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will. He does what he wants in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Right? This verse tells us that God is in charge of everyone and everything. No one can stay God's hand. That means stop God from doing what he has determined to do. Satan could not stop God from Jesus coming into the world and saving us from our sins. He could not do it. He's not powerful. Satan cannot stay, cannot stop God from doing what he has determined to do. No one can force God to do something against his will. No one can get God to change his mind. What God has determined to do, he will do. Now, this is really good news for us that have put our trust in him. That, this means that God is not like man. He's not fickle, right? You know, sometimes Jim is your best buddy, and then the next day you don't want to have anything to do with him, right? God is not like that, right? Uh, uh, James 1.7 says that there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning with the Lord. God is not capricious. He's not unstable. God is a rock. He is the rock of our salvation. Now, I want to look at just a couple more verses. Look at 2 Peter all the way towards the end of your Bible. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1. 18 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21 says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, you were not saved by any, anything that was done by man. Not, not silver, not gold, none of this stuff. But what were we saved with? What were we redeemed with? It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb slain without blemish and without spot. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ, by what Christ did for us on the cross, who verily 
truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, right? So we see here <coughs> that this was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. Let's look at one more, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 35, or verse 35. It says, Matthew 13, 35, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open up my, par- my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from when? The foundation of the world. Jesus is another step of God's revelation to mankind. Uh, uh, all the way back in Genesis, from the very moment that man had sinned, God had already promised a redeemer. He'd already promised, uh, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, right? The seed of the woman, which means it had nothing to do with a man. He would come from a, a, through a virgin, born of a virgin. He would come into this earth, live as a human, and he would take care of our number one enemy. He would destroy our number one enemy. And this was God's plan from the very foundation of the world. I said, I lied, one more, Matthew 25, just a couple pages to your right, Matthew 25, verse 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Right? This is not something that that is going out of control. And there is not something that is going out of control. In fact, we see the pain and the turmoil around this world. We know that God has allowed this for a reason. This is not happening uh, out of God's control. God is in control of everything. We should trust Him, uh, the Bible says, as, as unto a faithful creator. We don't understand what He's doing in the world, but we understand that He is working out His plan and His will in this world. So the four things that had to happen to Jesus. He must suffer many things. He must be rejected of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. He must be slain and he must be raised again on the third day. This was all a part of God's perfect plan, plan A, from the very foundation of the world. No one can challenge God and win. No one can stay his hand. God has purposed it and it will be done. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that what happened to Jesus here in this text was not a surprise to him. He had planned it before he had ever created man. He was not surprised. He was born for a purpose. He was born to fulfill all righteousness for us, to satisfy God's law, and to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, what do we call this plan that God set up for the salvation of sinners from before the foundation of the world. What do we call it? We call it the gospel. I, re- right? I realize who I'm talking to. I realize I'm talking to mostly uh, ki- church kids, right? You guys have, have uh, born in, uh, in families that, that believe in God and have been going to church, and you've been going to church most or all of your life, right? And you, Maybe you've heard all the gospel many times. You've got all of your T's dotted and your I's crossed. Okay, all right, I had to wait till you guys got that, right? Got all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted. You've heard hundreds of sermons. You've read your Bible through more than one time. You've memorized many Bible verses, etc. And I would just want to spend the rest of our time here, uh, this, this session, explaining to you what the gospel is 
And, and please don't shut me off because I want to show you by the end of this message that the gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel is everything. The gospel is for everyday life. You don't just need the gospel to save you and now you're done with it. You don't need it anymore. You can move on to higher and better things. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is not Christianity light. The gospel is Christianity. The gospel is everything to the believer. I also want to teach you a great way to share the gospel, to explain the gospel to other people. All right, are you guys ready? All right, let's go. So uh, the gospel it literally means good news. It's com- 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 the Greek word is, is a compound word of two different words, and it literally means good news. It's found a couple of times in the Old Testament. One of those times we read this morning when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he read Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, where he says, God has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Uh, God has proven, has, has anointed Jesus, set him apart to preach the gospel, and that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. Isaiah 52, 7, it's repeated in Romans chapter 10. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace and bringeth good tidings of good that publisheth salvation. So the good news is a good news about what? About salvation, about how God can reconcile, can, can, can uh, uh, join us back to God because we have been separated from our sins. Let me give you a real quick version of what the gospel is and what this good news is all about. The good news is, is the truth that the one and holy God who is holy, who made us in his image to know him, uh, uh, this, is, this is our God, but we have sinned and we have cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, fulfilling the law in himself and taking upon himself the punishment for the sins of the world. Of all of us who would, who would uh, uh, ever turn from our sins and trust in him. And on those, he bore as a, all of those sins he bore as a sacrifice. And then he rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and, and, completed his, and showed his completed work to his heavenly Father, who accepted Christ's sacrifice, thus declaring his wrath against sin and sinners exhausted. Now God sends out his Spirit to call us through this message of repentance and faith to trust in Christ alone for salvation and forgiveness of sins. And the good news is that if we'll repent of our sins and trust in Christ only, then we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. That's the gospel. This is the good news. Now, I want to help you explain the gospel. So write down four words in your, in your notebooks, right? Write down four words. words. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. This is a, a good way to help you remember how to share the gospel, how to remember what the gospel is, right? I'm really, I love acrostics and I love making ways, uh, making, you know, I know Brother Doug Hammett, uh, the uh, pastor here before Brother Roland, your church missionary and stuff like that. He's really good at acrostics and making uh, it easy for people to remember things. So just, if you forget what the gospel is, just remember Gmerker, right? God, man, Christ, I'm just kidding. I'm not good at acrostics or anything like that. So just remember, it's really simple, Gmerker, right? Okay, God, man, Christ, 
response. So let's start. Let's go, let's go through this real quick. God. There's only one true God, and he has revealed himself to us in his word, which is the Bible. He is the holy and just creator of all things. He is ruling over his creation, and all praise, honor, and glory are due to him. That's what Revelation 4.11 says. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God created everything, and everything was created for God's pleasure. Why were you created? You were created for God's pleasure to honor and glorify Him. Now God, the Bible teaches us, is holy. God hates sin. Psalm 5, 4 says, Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness neither shall evil dwell with thee. God hates sin. God will not allow sin to enter into his heaven. So there's God. Second one is man. God created man, men and women, in his image and in his likeness. We were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man was created by God originally in the Garden of Eden in complete innocence, free from sin and had a great relationship with God. However, man sinned against God by breaking his holy commandments, seeking to live life out in his own way. Man is therefore separated from God, spiritually dead, and will one day physically die. Since God is holy and just, there will come a day when God will judge mankind for his sins. Roman 5, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. There's not one of us who's not a sinner. Everyone who has ever been born deserves God's wrath for their sins and eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Colossians 3.6 says, Because of these things, because of our sins, the wrath of God comes upon the children of of disobedience. God's hates, God hates sin and his wrath, his anger is coming upon all sinners. Uh, Hebrews uh, 10 uh, 31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living of the living God. You know it's interesting uh, the first great awakening was preached by one of the preachers was a man named Jonathan Edwards and he was really against uh, emotional uh, please and, and wanted to stay against emotionalism. So what he did was he just read his, his sermons monotone. He read them monotone without any... Uh, I read my sermons, but I don't read them monotone. You guys see that right now, right? I can't do that. But he read it monotone because he didn't want to add any human element uh, to mess up God's work in the hearts of those people uh, that, that, that he was preaching to. And he preached the exact same message everywhere he went to. And he was preaching in churches to people who had called themselves Christians their whole life. Because back in the time of Jonathan Edwards, there were so many people. Everyone went to church. And, and churches were full of, of, of people. And these people were not regenerate. They were not new creations in Christ Jesus. They had just conformed to an outward Christianity. They did what their parents said. If they were the teenagers and kids, they went, showed up to church. They looked right, said right. But they were still the same on the inside. They hadn't been changed on the inside. They hadn't been born again. It was all just them living according to the rules and the standards around them. Same thing with their parents. Their parents were grown up in the same system. They know you go to church on Sunday. They know you, know, you shouldn't say bad things. You, you should try to live a, a good, clean life uh, free from sin. And they, they strive to do that. But they were not born again. And, and, and Jonathan Edwards would just go into these churches full of Christians and preach that 
you're in, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, of an, a God who's angry with you because of your sins. And whenever he would preach these, this truth to these people who'd never heard it before, they heard, they'd heard basically, you came to church, you looked right, you acted right, you're, gonna, you're all fine. In the end, uh, it's all going to wash out. And he says, you must be born again. You must be a new creation in order to be saved, in order to have uh, 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 God uh, pleased with you, in order to make it to heaven. And then a bunch of people got saved. It was one of the instigation, instigators of the great awakening here in America and in, and in Britain. So God, man, look at Christ now. What mankind needs is a holy and righteous mediator. Remember we talked about that. We had two guys that were mad at each other. We need someone to make peace between us and God. Jesus, the eternal Son of God in human flesh, is this holy and righteous mediator between God and man. He is the God-man. He's the only one who can reconcile God with man because he's the only one who is the God-man. He's the only one who is uh, fully God, truly God, as we talked about, very God of very God uh, earlier in the first sermon. And he's the only one who is completely man as well. And so only the God-man could reconcile God with man or man to God. He did what we could not do. He lived a, in perfect obedience to God's law. He suffered and died on the cross paying the, the penalty for sinners, bearing their sin, bearing their guilt, bearing their judgment. But he rose in victory from the grave, defeating sin and death. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no salvation in anyone else. That's what Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Why did God send his, his son? To redeem them that were under the law. That's us. That we might receive the adoption of sons so that you could be a child of God. You were born a child of the devil. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. You must be a child of God. So response, the last one. The question remains, how does, how does this become good news for me? Do you recognize that you have lived a life of sin against God and because of that you deserve God's wrath and God's judgment? Are you broken over these things? Do you desire to be forgiven of your sins and be reconciled to God? Then you need to repent and believe the gospel. To repent just means to have a, a radical change in mind that regarding sin and God. It's a change from loving sin and hating God to uh, uh, loving God and hating sin. To believe, uh, so th this is a radical change that shows itself in our, in our lives, right? Uh, if I, uh, as I talked about earlier, if I said I hated uh, Brother Gable and then I act like I love, there's something wrong here. If I, if I hate him one day, I'm going to act one way and then if I change my mind and I, I come to love him, then I'm, I'm going to change my life as well. Something that God does is God works, works in us, right? And we must repent and we must believe the gospel. To believe means to trust in the promises of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is and that he has done what he said he, uh, he will do. Believe in the Lord as Savior and, and you will be saved. You you have just heard the gospel. This is the good news that God planned all the way before he even created people to save fallen mankind. Now, 
In conclusion, we must understand that the gospel is not just for our salvation. So many people think that the gospel, are just the, the gospel is just the ABCs or just the first step into the Christian life and that we don't need the gospel anymore after that. But that is actually the exact opposite of reality. The Bible tells us that the, the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation, right? Romans 1.16. But the Bible teaches us that there are three aspects of our salvation. And as we close this sermon, I want a little bit of help. And so I would like to have three people volunteer their bodies for medical, exp- I'm just kidding. Um, all right, uh, you got, what are these three guys right here? That, that's great. All right, come on up here. All right, so since you beat me, I want you in the middle because <laughs> you're going to have the hard task, and you can get over here. Okay, so uh, step uh, away from each other a little bit. Now, I want to help, have these guys help me illustrate the three aspects or the three, yeah, three aspects of our salvation. Because I can literally say I am saved if I've repented and if I've trusted in Christ. I am saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. And I can say all those things and not be heretic and not be crazy. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. So the Bible teaches us that as soon as we repent and believe the gospel, God saves us. God makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you know 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a... Old things are... All things are... Okay, so justification is the the past aspect. So there's past, there's a present aspect, and there's a future aspect of your salvation. So the past aspect is justification. Repeat after me. Justification. 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 All right. A good way to remember justification is justification is God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. So I can say I'm saved. I am free from the penalty of my sins. So I am saved in the past when I believed on Christ from the penalty of my sins. So this is a past event. So take your finger and I want you to point to the past. All right. So he's pointing to the past. This is my salvation in the past. But the Bible also teaches that God is saving. I'm saved from the penalty for my sins. But God right now is saving me in my Christian life from the power of sin. So I want you to do this. All right. And I don't want you to stop, because if okay. you stop, I'm going to get, get on to you, okay? okay? All right, and I want you to just, just keep on doing this the whole time, because sanctification, can everyone say sanctification? Sanctification. What's this guy representing? Justification. This guy's representing? Sanctification. Sanctification starts at the very moment whenever someone believes the gospel, and it ends whenever someone dies or whenever Christ comes back. So this is sanctification. So justification, I am saved from the penalty for my sins. Sanctification, right now God is saving me from the power of sin. What that means is that uh, the Bible says we're new creatures in Christ whenever we're saved, but we still have a lot of sin and sinful tendencies in our lives. The Bible says that we are destined to become conformed to the image of Christ's Son. And so this is a process that happens in our life where we start... uh, 
hating sin more, loving the Lord more, where we start serving the Lord more, acting more like Christ would act, uh, enjoying being a Christian more, enjoying more going to church, growing in Christ, growing in, in all of these Christian things, loving the church that God has given us, being faithfully involved in church. All of these things are aspects of sanctification. You're doing a really good job. We are getting more and more conformed to the image of God. God is transforming us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. And this is a process that God starts whenever we're saved. And then there's the last aspect. Remember, there's past aspect, which is justification. There's the present aspect, which is who knows the future aspect? Glorification. All right. Can you say glorification? Glorification. Okay. Glorification is a future aspect. So I want you to point to the future. Okay. So glorification is the future aspect. Are you getting tired yet? Okay. Good. All right. Because I'm going to preach another couple hours. Okay. okay. All right. You can't stop. All right, so uh, glorification is the future aspect of our salvation. So we are saved from the penalty of our sins. We are being saved from the power of our sins. And we will be saved from the presence of our sins, right? So one of these days, we don't know when it's going to happen, God is going to come back. And it could even be even today. Can you imagine that? The Bible says that's the very next thing that is going to happen. Jesus is coming back. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you better get right today because we're not promised tomorrow. We have no idea when Jesus is coming back. But if uh, you have a chance to get saved until Christ comes back, after that, uh, you're cut off. But us that are saved, we are looking forward to whenever Christ comes back. Because whenever Christ comes back, that means that's the end of our sanctification. No more of this. This fighting that goes in between us, between the old man and the new man. No more of this striving to, to kill the sin that is in us and striving to live as Christ would have us to live. It's all over because our battle with sin will be over. God will put to death our flesh and God will give us a new body with new desires, new wants, and, and everything, everything that's bad that's, 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 that's attached to our old body the sinful tendencies, the pain, the suffering, things like that. It will all be over. It will all be over. That's the end of our salvation, right? So we have past salvation. It's called justification. Present salvation, which is called sanctification. And future salvation, which is called glorification. glorification. So here's the interesting part, okay? It's not the fact that his arms are getting tired, even though he's not admitting. Your arms are getting tired, aren't they? No? He's lying. I can tell. You know how I can tell you're lying? Your lips are moving. All right. So here we see there are three aspects of salvation, past, present, and future, Self, uh, sanctification, uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So the gospel is what justifies us. We are saved not on the basis of what we've done or what we could do, but what God has already done for us. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And now he gives us, he gives us this salvation, every single one who repents and believes the gospel. And then he starts transforming us, transforming us, making us more and more like Christ, uh, working out his will in our lives are you going faster? Are you going slower? What's going on here? Okay, so this is a process that, that we are being saved from the power of sin. But our hope, 
the Bible calls it our blessed hope, is that soon and very soon, we're saved, we're sanctified, we are being sanctified, not by what we're doing, but by what the gospel has done for us. It's all because of the gospel. The God is working out His plan in our life to make us more glorifying, more uh, uh, pleasing to Him. And now, the glorification is the best part because the glorification is the end. It's checkmate to the devil, right? It's the end of our suffering. It's the end of our failings. It's the end of our fight with the devil. And we are so excited that this will happen to us. Right now we're here, right? And we're looking back at what Christ has done for us when he has declared us free from sin, when he's already justified us. And we're looking forward at our glorification. I tell you what, you are not saved by how good of a, of, of, uh, of uh, how well this sanctification process is working out in your life, right? You are saved looking at the gospel and what Christ has done for you, and we are going to be glorified, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We're looking forward with hope and with expectation. We're excited knowing that soon Christ is coming back, or Maybe we'll die, and death to a Christian is, is a good thing. The Bible says absent with the bodies, present with the Lord. It's still the end, of our, an end of, our, uh, of our fight here on this earth. So we see the past, present, and future aspects of salvation. Thank you guys very much. And that is all made possible, not by what I did, not by what they did, but by what Christ did. So the gospel is everything for the believer. The gospel justifies us, the gospel is sanctifying us, and the gospel is glorifying us. We should live every day reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And that gives us joy, that gives us peace, that gives us comfort, knowing that it's what Christ is doing through us. It's what Christ is doing in us. And and, uh, the Bible says... Even though we go through tough times, it says, happy are we. We're doing it for the gospel's sake. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We are excited about what God has done for us. So think about this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've heard the gospel and responded to the gospel? Remember, God, man, Christ response. What's the proper response? It's realizing you're going the wrong way. And in your heart, turning to the Lord saying, God, I'm done doing it my way. I want to do it your way. I now believe in you. I trust in you. I know who you are. And I seek to, to love and to please you from here on out. That's what, that's what has a proper response to the gospel. If you've responded to the gospel, the Bible says you're a new creature, creature in Christ Jesus. God is sanctifying you. And he one day will glorify you. And that's all because of the gospel. Thank God for the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.